Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tas Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Howie Ferguson. He's the executive director at the Construction Owners Association of America. So, Howie, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Tots. Yeah, so, uh, Howie, I was looking at your background, and you came out with a civil engineering degree in construction. I mean, was that always the plan? <laughs> That's an interesting, simple question with a complex. No, I don't know that there was a plan. It was more like that's just kind of what felt felt right when I was an undergraduate. And I really didn't have a plan. I did know this, though. I co-opted the thing where you kind of work a semester and then go back to school for a semester with a civil engineering firm in my hometown and loved it, but also realized I didn't want to practice civil engineering. I just didn't want to. I didn't want to design parking lots and wastewater treatment plants and whatever else. I mean, civils do cool stuff. It was a It was a great broad foundation in terms of problem solving, understanding the industry. But I ended up getting into a lot more vertical construction than horizontal anyway. So there really wasn't a plan. Yeah, yeah. And then from your schooling, you went into the U.S. Navy, uh, the Civil Engineering Corps. How, how did that happen? Yeah, great question and kind of a cool story. It was one of my professors at the University of Florida was a retired naval officer in this thing that I'd never heard of called the Civil Engineer Corps. And I don't know that I was a favorite or anything, and I don't know that I said anything, but something sparked him to grab me after class and say, hey, let me tell you a little bit about my background, and this might be something you're interested in. And I listened and followed up on it and became really interested uh, when I found out that you know I, I would deploy with uh, something that you may have heard of. They're very kind of famous, called the CBs. These are deployable construction battalions, construction battalions, CBs, so they call them CBs. And um, there's that, but there's also more family conducive jobs, you know, tours where I would be in charge of construction projects or in charge of maintaining and operating facilities, uh, very much like a public works kind of job. All of that was it, it was within the Civil Engineer Corps. And I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. So I started pursuing that. I was not ROTC. I was not ROTC. I was just a regular student, but I committed to the Navy that once I graduated, I would go to officer candidate school and and go be a civil engineer corps guy. For people that don't understand the, uh, the civil engineer corps, how, how would you describe it just generally? So if you think about Navy and Marine Corps, because the, the Navy and the Marine Corps, it's two different services, but they're all under the Department of Navy. So their facilities, Marine Corps and Navy, it's all kind of one family. All of those bases all over the world, they're like little cities. They all have you now some purchase power, but many have their own power generation, their own wastewater treatment, their own housing, Recreation facilities, office space, production stuff, docks, airfields, you know, all this stuff. It's like a city. And so who takes care of all that? Well, the grunt work is done mostly by civilians or contractors, but the supervision and management leadership and strategic planning for all that is done by this relatively small group of officers, men and women, called Civil Engineer Corps. So at a given Navy base, like I'm in Pensacola, Florida, and there's a big, this is where all the naval aviators train. So there's a big naval air station in Pensacola. There's probably six or seven or eight civil engineer corps officers at that base in charge of construction projects, maintaining utilities and facilities, 
uh, doing work orders, all that stuff. And they probably have a civilian workforce of several hundred doing all that work. Yeah, obviously you're coordinating things. Lots of things happen. What is one of the most memorable stories you had working in that? Or let's say lesson, either or. Okay, so a, a story... And the best part about it, Tots, is it's a true story. It's not <laughs> embellished. Uh, those are the best. You don't have to make up anything. So my very first tour, tour of duty, they call it job, after I was commissioned and went to a special school to learn how to be a civil engineer corps officer, was at a shipyard in Maine, a very old shipyard. Literally, if you've ever heard of the USS Constitution or visited that, it's a historic wooden ship in Boston. I think it's part of the Freedom Trail. Really cool, like one of those old three-masted wooden ships. Wooden ship. Well, the shipyard I was at in Maine, this was in in Maine, built that ship. Like that's how old it is. Like the shipyard was commissioned in 1800. So what does that mean in terms of what I did? Well, I was the assistant public works officer. I had counterparts down the road who were in charge of construction. I was more in charge of maintaining operating facilities. Well, this shipyard was so old that and it was an island. At some point in the early 20th century, and it was already 100 years old, they started running out of space. So they just made more land. They made the island bigger. They just dumped dirt and said, well, it turns out, long story way shorter, included in what they dumped because there was no EPA, there was no rules about environmental stuff. They dumped a whole bunch of other not good stuff, like barrels of chemicals, an old Japanese submarine from World War two or one or so. Anyway, it was crazy. It was a super fun site on this base because they didn't know better in the early 20th century. They're like, hey, we need more land. Let's just put some stuff in the ground, make more land. And so way before I got there, they had this huge cleanup effort to remediate all that. I just thought that is crazy. It just shows how like we still have a long way to go with environmental stuff, but it wasn't that long ago that we, the whole world, was really clueless. Like, hey, it's probably not a good idea to put barrels of chemicals in the ground. <laughs> Just insane. Wow. Lessons related to that or lessons in general, uh, you know, working for the Navy? Well, a lot of what I learned, Tots, from my Navy time, there were some technical things that were, you know, really useful stuff you don't learn in school. But most of what I learned was soft skills and leadership, dealing with people, especially in that deployable time, the CBs or all the folks that work for me were enlisted folks and learning. I kind of knew this intuitively anyway, but understanding that, you know, they may have to salute me because I'm the officer, but they've forgotten more about construction than I know. So having a kind of a humble approach to that and, and being willing to learn from these very experienced senior people, even if they're quote unquote only enlisted and not having some kind of a holier than thou mindset, that was, that kind of, you know, people, soft communication skills, that was invaluable. And frankly, I got a lot more out of that than any sort of technical, because a lot of stuff that we were building was pretty simple. When I went on to work at the University of Florida, I got into some really complex construction, but the people skills and leadership, I think that's what I really took from the Navy. Sure, absolutely. So g give me an example of something very complex that you're a part of via the uh, University of Florida. Yeah, complex, but in a fun way, because, you know, it was like a you know, hey, let's learn about this thing that I've never heard of. So roughly 2005, 2006, I was uh, given a new assignment, been at University of Florida since 1999. So a few years, had my feet wet, understood, you know, what I was doing a little bit. But I was told that the university wanted to build a nanoscale research facility. I said, well, that sounds cool. 
Wow, what's a nanoscale? What's, what's, what's that? You know? <laughs> well, okay, so it turns out, and now it's a little more out there, a little more people have heard of nanoscience, or they they probably understand nano just means really, really small, like you, like you think microscope. Okay, micro scale. Well, nano is like several levels of small below micro. So it's really, really small stuff that you need really powerful electron microscopes to see. Well, it turns out University of Florida is a big land-grant institution with the College of Medicine and Engineering and all this great stuff going on. Turns out that a lot of in colleges and departments were doing their own stuff with nanoscience, like looking on a real small molecular or smaller scale, but none of them were talking to each other. Engineers were doing their thing. The docs were doing their thing. Some physicists were doing... So the idea of building this new building is to bring all of those very smart really interesting folks together and ooh, what kind of science could they come up with if the engineers are coordinating with the doctors? Like, well, okay, that sounds really cool. Well, the facility to support that was, I'd never dealt with anything like that. To give you an example, Tots, I had never built a facility with a clean room in it. I'm talking like where people wear those white suits and little booties. And um, it, I mean, in terms of construction, this is the easiest way to that even a layperson could could understand this. In a typical office building, you know, plus or minus, the air changes with just a standard air conditioning system about six to eight times per hour. That air in a room is, is turned over six or eight times in an hour. That's about normal. In this clean room we were building, it was in the range of five or 600 air changes per hour. So you can imagine the scale, the filtration, the load, the, you know, the, just the, the cost of the mechan just the mechanical systems and filtration and all this other stuff to create a clean environment because of what they were doing in the in the bays within this facility. So that kind of stuff. Other other parts were it wasn't even the clean room. These powerful microscopes I talked about are super sensitive. They're sensitive to electrum and magnetic pulses and stuff to the point where we had to do a study when we picked our site or we thought we had picked our site. We literally did a study to see what was going on all around the site. It turns out that big buses rolling by was a problem because it's a big piece of metal that's moving, creates a magnetic field that could interfere with these microscopes. I'm like, are you serious? And it's 200 feet away from the building. So how, how did you find that out? Did you have, did you bring in experts? I mean, obviously you're in an area you're not familiar with. Yeah, there's firms. And again, actually through COA, through the organization I now run, I was able to reach out to some other higher ed owners who were like, oh yeah, you need to get in touch with this firm for electromagnetics. You need to touch with these guys when it comes to vibration analysis. That's another thing we had to do. So it was just a really tricked out design and construction process to equip the building to be able to support the science and the equipment that went with that science. It was pretty unique. Yeah, for sure. Huh. Okay. So was it easy to get everyone together to work together? Like you got the construction side. We, we, did you have any hand in bringing people together to collaborate on this shared facility? Yeah, exactly. That's part of the art of being the owner's project manager. That's why my organization exists is to try to convey, you know, how do you do that? Even if it wasn't a nanoscale facility, most, most projects you're building it for someone. And usually there's different competing sometimes interests, like, you know, if it's an office building, well, the clerical folks need this and the managerial folks need this. And these days you got to think, well, what about virtual work? Do we need as much space? So yeah, absolutely. A big part of what I was doing is 
bringing, now I didn't bring them together for the first time. They had already come together to realize the vision. Hey, we need to have a facility. Then they brought my office in. But once, so all the players have been established, Tats, when I got introduced to them, it was purely from a, okay, folks, I understand you've done this and this, and this is what you think, but let me walk you through how the process is going to work, including picking our architect engineer team and our construction team. And then y'all can start talking to me about your needs as they relate to facilities. And that's kind of what led to, so it was kind of a collaborative thing from the onset, like the players had already been established and it was really cool because I mean, these are exceptionally smart people, but what I found is most of them were, you know, kind of stayed in their lane. They were humble enough to know, look, I know this nanoscience, but I don't know how you pick architects or what kind of concrete we need. That's why we have you. I'm like, yeah, so we'll make a good team. So it was super fun, but very similar process to every other project. Sure, absolutely. Now you mentioned ECOA, which is the Construction Owners Association of America. I'm assuming at your time at the University of Florida, it sounded like you were a member. Exactly. Yeah, I got introduced to ECOA. Maybe I was only at UF maybe two or three years, and I was asked to present, be a presenter on a on project delivery methods. You know, like design, bid, build versus CM at risk versus what at a COA conference. And of course, I'm like, sure, what, what's COA? And then so one of my colleagues at UF had been part of it for a long time, and he explained it. And I said, oh, that sounds cool. Oh, and it's in New Orleans. Yeah, great. Okay, I have family there. So so I went and presented. And what I found, Tots, this is circa 2000, 2001, so quite a ways back. What I found was a lot of people, and I say this lovingly, and I am one, just kind of dorky about project, like people who are just really serious about doing projects better, which is kind of what I was like. And I was like, hey, I think I found my people. Uh, these, these guys are all dorks or gals too. <laughs> dorks in a good way, trying to continuously improve. And that was evident by like, I did my little presentation and I had like 15 people come up afterwards. And that's usually a good sign. They're not just there to kind of, you know, because I told them to come here. They were serious about doing this thing. So that kind of lit a fuse. And then, you know, long story way shorter, I started getting involved with the Florida chapter of COA and then eventually got involved as a volunteer at the national level. Um, so yeah, that, that's what kind of sparked me is just being a presenter at one of their conferences. Yeah. And, and with with COA, for, for people that know, is, is it all about sort of best practices on delivery methods or is it more holistic in the mandate? It's more holistic. It's kind of, I'm kind of a visual person. And so if you think about, talk to people about, you know, think about any project, but from the owner's perspective, the client, you know, if you're a builder or designer, I think of it as a pie, like an like an apple pie. And there's different pieces. One piece, a very important piece, of course, is in the program, the scope. What is it we're doing and why? Another piece is budget and cost control. Another piece is schedule. Another piece is code compliance. Another piece may be sustainability, et cetera, et cetera, all these different pieces. And so our approach at COA is to kind of look at the whole pie. We aren't going to focus just on project delivery methods or just on the adoption of lean, for example, which is a fantastic thing. We're going to sort of talk about and look at just about everything, which means that we have members, owner members, because we have members that are non-owners, too, builders and architects and engineers. But we have owners that d- build very different things. We have, you know, healthcare and higher ed and Chick-fil-A is a member. Amazon's a member. These are very, very different public, private, large, small. And so we're not really talking about best practices for an Amazon data center or a Chick-fil-A restaurant. We're talking about the holistic, the piece, the common thread things that are kind of an issue on every project from leadership and soft skills to contracts to project delivery methods. 
that kind of stuff. That's very neat. So you talked about the the, the pie holistically. I mean, you know, what are, what are some examples of people that really do it right? Because obviously within your organization, there's there's different things. When you think of HECOA and you know what it stands for, and you think of firms or individuals that do it right, what what comes to mind? I can name names, organizations, tots, but but maybe an even better way to do it is just to say that on the owner side in particular, because that's who we're all about, owners, construction owners, is it's folks who have a mindset. And we actually ended up two or three years ago, this had been sort of out there in the ethos for a while. We finally kind of put a name to it and we call it the Coa Way. We even created a little logo for it. And and people first hear that, they like Oh, so it's like a like a cookbook. Like I follow these steps and everything's going to go great. I'm like, no, 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 it's not that. Every project's different. We don't pretend to know all the answers. That's not it. It's more of a mindset. It's more of a, a culture which does exist on projects, like it or not. Team people come together sometimes from all over the world, and there's a there's an environment, a culture, a vibe, and it kind of relates to that. And it relates to the idea that the owner kind of sets the tone and has a big role in that culture. And that culture, we hope and think and believe it should be transparent. It's sometimes hard for owners to be transparent, like for various reasons, political or, you know, Ooh, this is secret or we don't want to tell you because then everybody else will know or whatever their reasons are. But frankly, that's the best way to get projects done. Just put it all on the table. This is what we know. This is what we don't know. This is our budget. Sometimes you can't do that. But that sort of thing. That's kind of the common thread amongst our members is this co-away belief. The idea that people tots deliver projects. You know, our industry is rightfully really into things to make our industry better, like lean or like building information modeling, or there's lots and lots of examples. And all those things are cool, but we like to say, and it's true that, hey, all that stuff is great, but it's still people. Everyone from a laborer pushing the broom all the way up to the design principle and the owner and the donor, if there was a donor, like all of the, it's all people. And so relationships, communication, soft skills, all these things matter. That's what ultimately, now, of course, you want to be on time and yeah, use building information modeling and sure, let's do prefabrication and let's be lean and all that stuff, but it's still people. That's kind of the common thread amongst our folks is understanding that people are what drive good and bad projects and that culture does matter. Yeah, that, that's the mindset. So what, what do you think your average company do you do more tactically to facilitate that? I mean, w- whether it's, you know, we're a little bit more distributed now with the average company. How does that come in with uh, your thinking? I don't know if the answer is going to be different, Tots, but when you say company, do you mean like an owner organization or more like a Sure. I mean, I think you, you talked about mindset, but I guess what, what are some practical, like let's say you want to improve this area. How would you maybe specifically assess how you are doing and, and what are some practical tips that yeah. uh, someone could implement? So, okay, I'll give you an example, pretty tangible one that we did when I was at UF quite a while ago. This is uh, mid-2000s maybe. We were looking to improve our whole game, our contracts, our processes. We kind of felt like we could do better. We wanted to be an owner that people wanted to work for, builders, designers. And so we did a a retreat off campus. We had this, UF owns this um, property with a lake and canoes. It's for students, but we could use it as as staff. And uh, it's like in the woods and it's barbecue grills and, you know, it's real nice. So we went there and we invited all of the construction management firms, national, regional, small, local, that were working for us or had worked for us to come. 
you know, send two reps, no more than two. And we had a whole, might've been a half day. I think it was a whole day. And, you know, we had a hot dogs and burgers and bottled water. We didn't have any alcohol, but it was meant to be an open discussion about us improving. And it wasn't, we were real careful to kind of say, look, this is not meant to be a, pardon my French, but like a bitch session. We don't want this to turn into somebody standing up and telling us 30 minutes, you guys stink because my pay app was late. Yeah. Okay. We're trying to, and so we, we did things, for example, like we shared some language we were thinking about adding or changing in our contracts because we wanted their feedback. It may sound like, okay, burgers and hot dogs and go to the lake and whatever. No, but they loved it because there was like, wow, we've never had an owner ask us our opinion or what we think. I mean, you know, you're paying us, so we just do what you say, right? Well, but we want to do it better. And so that's just one example, Tots, where I think owners sometimes, if they just let their guard down a little bit and maybe invite their, and maybe make it selective, make it the partners that you work, that you believe are your best ones. You know, if you just want to limit it to the, the cream of the crop, we made it kind of open to, to everyone. And I think we got a lot of traction with that because people, they just appreciated being asked. We couldn't implement every suggestion they said. That wouldn't be practical. Some of them were kind of crazy, but we listened and we tried to adopt what we could and they appreciated that. Yeah. So that's great because as owners, you just mentioned that sometimes, you know, you, you pay them and if they're good and but they're, they're opening up for two sides sort of dialogue, right? Two way dialogue. So that's very exciting. Yeah. Now, just going back to the other side, which is you mentioned, you know, some of the cream of the crop service providers or contractors or whatnot. What have you heard, maybe it's from your experience or from other experiences, to, to get in as one of the top, right? Like what what characteristics, what do, you, what do you like? What are some of the things you hear in your membership? Yeah, when it comes to those service providers that are viewed by any owner as kind of the superstars, the best ones, I think it's both tangible and intangible tots. The tangible side, kind of obvious, it's almost like, duh. Right. But, you know, folks who do what they say they'll do, and I don't necessarily mean like adhere to contractual stuff, but even if it's just, you know, informal, like, yeah, we'll have that to you by next Friday and they hit it. You know, hey, I'd rather you tell me it's going to be two weeks from Friday and I hate it. I need it sooner, but at least you're being accurate. Like, you know, that kind of thing. Transparency, great communication. That's a common thread. And it sounds like it's almost cliche. Like, yeah, okay, great communication. No, but sometimes it's hard to communicate well. It's hard to tell bad news. It's hard to tell an owner, sorry, you know, this shipment is delayed. It's just, you know, but that's better than me finding out from my boss, right? Again, collaboration. That's another thing. Collaboration. I have a friend that in COA that says collaboration is messy. And he's right. Sometimes it's hard to collaborate. You're talking about the, the nanoscientists and bringing them together. These very smart people and they don't all agree on stuff. And that's that's difficult. But man, if you can, if you can make it work, it's so much so. All of those sorts of things, I think, are, are kind of part of that stew is just folks who are timely, who do what they say they're going to do and communicative and, and transparent and obviously hardworking and hit the milestones. But I think the intangibles tats are, are as or maybe play as big a role or a bigger role, actually, than the tangible. All things being equal, like, you know, let's just, can say two contractors. Yeah, they were both about on time, both about on budget. But this guy, I always kind of wondered if they were telling me the whole story. And this other guy, I was 100% sure I was getting the full thing. So all things being equal, I'd rather work with that guy. I mean, that kind of thing. 
Very good examples. Thank you for that. Where do you see the organization going? I mean, you have uh, goals and visions with where you are today and where you want to go with COA. What are your thoughts there? Well, we'd like to diversify our membership. Again, it might sound cliche. When I say diversify, I mean I mean that in several ways. Our industry needs to get younger. I think we all know that. So does our organization. I think our median age is mid-40s. We need to get the younger folks. I know they're out there. They're part of some of our member organizations, but it's like they're too busy. They're down in the basement cranking workout, man. They don't have time. We need to get them involved. We need to get younger. That's one form of diversification. Obviously, there's way too many middle to old age white guys. We need that kind of diversification, diversity of thought. And then for us in particular, we're very heavy in public owners, tots like higher ed. And even we have some private higher ed too, but a lot of higher ed is is you know, the University of Florida. It's a public institution. A lot of governmental agencies, everyone from GSA, the feds, all the way down to cities and states and counties. A lot of healthcare, which is sometimes kind of quasi-public, private, but a lot of K-12 school districts, a lot of public. We'd love to grow. Also, back to the to the question, we believe that COA is a good fit for just about any owner doing just about anything, especially in the vertical side. Not as sure on the horizontal side. That's a whole other discussion, like the departments of transportation and that. Not sure because I don't know that world as well, which is ironic because I'm a civil engineer, right? You would think I would, but I really don't. But yeah, like I mentioned, Amazon and Chick-fil-A. We would love to get Google and Facebook and other the other techs and and lot there's some retail and all of these airports. We all kind of we feel like all of those kind of owners have a have a home at COA because again, we're not talking about best practices for airport runways. We're talking about best practices for leading projects of any kind. So we kind of feel like the generalist approach fits just about any owner. That's our goal is to diversify. Yeah. Very cool. Is there something I did not cover that uh, you you wanted to mention or, um, you know, plug? Just that, you know, Toss, this is going big, big picture philosophical, but it's been more than tough last two plus years in the world, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, right? And everyone knows why. COVID, racial relations, political elections, Supreme Court decisions, there's just a lot, shootings, there's a lot of bad news out there, a lot of stress. Our profession, our industry, I should say, construction, I think it has the second highest suicide rate of any. There's a lot of mental health issues out there. And I guess my thing is, and that's why I said, sorry if I'm going too big picture, but like, let's just keep talking. That this do what you and I are doing is awesome because let's just get out there and talk about it, right? Even if it's like our industry tots, you know, famously, and this is pretty much a negative thing. You know, kind of just very testosterone infused forever. Get it done. It doesn't matter what the cost. And that's still, yeah, you got to have goals. You got to have deadlines. You know, you can't just say, sure, take your time, build it and finish it whenever you want. I'm not, that's stupid. But like people do matter. They're not resources, they're people. And things like mental health, morale, people dealing with, you know, this weird hybrid where I'm virtual, I'm in person and what it, it just keep talking. And just keep talking. That's what I think we provide to our members is an outlet to just keep talking. Uh, you may come to a COA conference to give an example, and there may not be 75 tangible process improvement things you take home. Maybe there's three or four, but there could just be, you know, the idea that someone else is going through the same thing we are back home. Okay, I feel a little bit better. Like we suck, but kind of everyone else does too. You know what I mean? Like there's strength in numbers, and it's good to 
just keep talking. I, I worry, Tots, that people, because of COVID, are in this shelter-in-place mode, and they're just kind of solving their stuff by themselves. You can't do it that way, you know? Connect and network and talk and what you and I are doing and what we try to do. I think that's a big part of everyone just exhale, man. We'll get through it. Let's just keep talking. That's my point. Perfect. Thank you for uh, sharing. Yeah, I hope that wasn't too, too big picture, too philosophical. Love it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Specify Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>